0: welcome to the Queens Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. So glad you're here. Let's jump into this new series. Everybody say Portrait. You know what a portrait is, right? Hopefully, some of you have beautiful portraits of your loved ones hanging in your houses. Um, This sermon sermon series is going to be a collection of sermons about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was a a sermon or a collection of sermons that was preached by Jesus when he walked the earth. And I want to start this off uh, just by using the first two verses, verses of the sermon to highlight how we should view the entire thing. So, we're really not going to get into the meat today of the Sermon on the Mount, but we just realize that every time we open God's Word, we're in the meat of it. You know what I mean? So, this has plenty of good for us, uh, but I hope it whets your appetite so that next week you're ready to come back and hear um, from the continuation of this. <clears throat> I want to start with a question, though. I want to ask you to think about when you feel, this might make it a little uncomfortable, so be careful, but when do you feel most uneasy? in front of the mirror. I mean, it might be when you have a big night out planned, right? You've been there. The loved one is waiting, and you are trying to get ready for a date night to end all date nights. Maybe you're going dancing. Maybe you're going to dinner. Maybe you're going to a Broadway show. Um, maybe it's, it's just a really big night in, and you're just going right down the hallway to sit down and have a candlelight dinner with a loved one. Maybe that's when you feel most uneasy. You're, you're really checking every wrinkle. You know, you're, you're making sure that you get every piece of stubble. But maybe for you, that's not the most uh, uneasy time. What about when you are anxious that you're going to meet complete strangers? So maybe you're like, you know, I'm, out, I'm in front of the mirror and I'm going to see my loved one, I'm confident. I'm not uneasy then, but... If I'm going to meet with strangers or see people I don't know or go out for a job interview or something where I'm not going to be interacting with my friends and family, that's what makes me uneasy. I'm sure uh, you guys have heard in movies or TV, uh, or maybe you've said yourself, um, how do you look yourself in the mirror after that? You heard that before? Maybe that's when you're most uneasy in front of the mirror. After you've done something, right, a night out that you made mistakes, mistakes, Maybe a time that you feel most uneasy in, in front of the mirror is when you've done something that you think, I don't know how I could look myself in the mirror right now. And some of you may even say, you know what? I've felt that so hard that I actually brushed my teeth looking down into the sink, turned the light off, turned around and walked out. Mirrors can make us uneasy, right? Most of us, most of the population doesn't look in front of a mirror and just feel 100% confident 100% of the time. There are things that make us uneasy. I want, to, I want, I want us to think about that and figure out how we would make ourselves less uneasy. Right? You might follow, um, the younger cats might follow a step-by-step makeup tutorial on Instagram. Right? You just put, put that up on your mirror right there and you figure out how to do your makeup better. Or maybe you get out a, um, a style guide on YouTube You guys know these exist? You can, you can, whatever you're trying to do, like a a date night for a married man, you know, YouTube that, and there's going to be some guy who's going to be standing in front of a camera all confident, and he's going to be telling you how to get yourself more confident in front of the mirror for your date night with your wife. Any situation. Maybe that's how you would do it. What we want to talk about this morning, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, is that sometimes... That's the outward appearance, right? Well, sometimes discovering who we are on the inside can be just as difficult of a process. Sometimes knowing who we truly are, what our identity is, can be just as difficult and uneasy as figuring out what to wear or what to look, how to shave, how to get your hair cut in front of the mirror. And I want us to look at the Sermon on the Mount in the correct way. And here's the way we look at it. The Sermon on the Mount is not a step-by-step guide to fixing your soul. The Sermon on the Mount is not a new set of law. This has been argued for for, uh, generations. There are some people who believe that the Sermon on the Mount is just the new law, right? Like the law was given uh, back when the Ten Commandments came down from God to Moses. And then Jesus said, you know, like, here's a new set of law. Here's a new set of instructions, But if we look at it like that, we will do ourselves harm. The way that we are called to look at the Sermon on the Mount is as if we are looking at a portrait of our true self, the person who God designed you to be. A man or a woman after God's own heart looks like this. So it's not so much... A how to be this way, it's a who you really are. This is what the serpent on the mount is. Um, identity plays an important role in your life, whether you know it or not. That's what I'm, who you are. It, dicta- it dictates how you respond to others. Did you know that? You know, who you are on the inside dictates how you respond to others. It also uh, dictates ways that you handle adversity. Have you ever met someone who is really confident uh, peaceful and controlled in the midst of adversity? Raise your hand. You ever met anyone like that? Is that person you? Maybe? Sometimes? You see, your identity dictates what you do during adversity, but it does the opposite, too. Uh, I want to ask you to raise your hand, because some of you might get nudged, um, but have you ever met someone who does not handle praise very well? You know, you praise them, and their head just blows up, right? And explodes. This person maybe hasn't learned how to handle being praised. Instead of saying thank you, they say, yeah, I know. I know. You might, you might say to the worship team later, you know, you guys did such a great job um, of worshiping to us, singing God's words over us and leading us. Um, and we'll pray that most of them will say, thank you. Praise God. Instead of, yeah, I did do a good job, didn't I? Right? They're not going to say that. Why? Because who they are dictates how they respond, even in praise. It determines your character. Your identity determines your character. So simply put, for today's um, topic, your identity is, it's just, it's who you are. It's who you are on the inside. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is gonna paint a portrait for his followers, and he's saying, this is your true identity if you follow me. This is a complete and authoritative look at a disciple of Jesus. It's complete and it's authoritative. We'll see that in a minute. Um, And we're going to go by it, verse by verse. But let's start today, um, and Bobby will put this up for us, in Matthew chapter 5. There's a very short uh, scripture right here, and then one at the end. And it's verse 1 and 2. The Bible says this. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... We're going to stop mid-sentence right there. But I will flip, just for the um, purpose of the middle of this sermon, to the very end of the sermon. That's the very beginning, right? And then the next two, three chapters are just Jesus' words with no comment from our author here, Matthew. Just quotes by Jesus. And then it ends, end quote in verse 27, and and chapter 7, verse 28 says this. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes or teachers. So we see something really important from those two, uh, we see a few things really important. But the first one is this, that, that the Sermon on the Mount is for all people. Everybody say all people. The Sermon on the Mount is not just for disciples. We might, I might even, look at it and think, well, he saw the crowds, so what did he do? Do you remember? He went up to the mountain. And your mind almost thinks like he left the crowds behind, then it says the disciples came to him. Jesus sits down, and then the disciples sit down around him. What a beautiful picture, right? You're on top of a mountain, your followers are sitting, you're about to teach them. But where did the crowds go? we have to look at chapter 7, verse 28, to realize that the crowds didn't leave. And Jesus didn't go so far that they were not within earshot of what he was saying. Because at the very end of the teachings, Matthew records that Jesus says, and the crowds were astonished at his teachings. They were astonished. You see, this is what Sunday mornings at Queen's Church will be. Sunday mornings at Queen's Church are going to be so enriching for the follower of Jesus, the disciple. The the ones of you who have already made your decision and you said, I follow Jesus, you're going to come each week and sit at the feet of his word. And it will be faithfully taught to you. And you will receive the bread of life. Amen? But... It is different from some churches you may have been involved in in the past because we must put this thing in front of us always that the words of Jesus that enrich believers astonish the crowds. Many of you will leave this morning and you will not say, I was astonished by what Pastor Larry said. Many of you will not leave. You might not even say, I was astonished at what what the word of God spoke to me. Because you've heard this before. But you will be enriched, right? Just like when you come to the table and you eat food. God gives you nourishment through that. And uh, we have a story, that video story was Gina. We have one that Miss Jean does as well uh, that we'll show in the coming weeks. And in hers, I love it. She says, um, coming to church is like eating. She says, I come to church and I get fed. And then she says, everybody's got to eat. You see, we come to, uh, as followers of Jesus, we come to his word and we feast. And it's good for our souls. It's good for our bodies. But don't forget that one of our uh, duties, one of our jobs and responsibilities as followers of Jesus is to bring unbelieving crowds with us. Because guess what happens? You may not have left astonished, right? Because you know about God's love. You know about his faithfulness. You know he is the king of glory. And when you sing that song, you're remembering ways that he has shown you how he is the true king in your life. Let's see what happens when outsiders come in. When someone who's not a believer in Jesus, maybe they um, have been raised never knowing anything about church, or maybe the church burned them and they just took off because they said, there is no place for me in that hypocrite. building, right? Maybe that they had a a bad experience and helped them misunderstand the church altogether. When those people, unbelievers, the crowds, when they come to the feet of Jesus, when they hear, remember, they don't even have to be at his feet, right? Because he walked away and they just heard him. They are astonished. Astonished because they'll learn about a king who instead of ruling over his people, came to serve his people, right? You've, you were greeted by some people that says serve team uh, on, their, on their little lanyard. That's the lanyard that Jesus would be wearing. He's the king and he would have a serve team lanyard on because Jesus came to serve. And that's astonishing to people who have a misrepresentation of what God is and who he is. So we must remember that the Sermon on the Mount is for all people. It's rich for his followers and astonishing for the crowds. As a church, that gives us a great, unique opportunity. We get to bring the crowds with us. Come and see. Come and taste. You will not believe what this tastes like. It will astonish you. Sermons for all people. Um, This is why we must be bringers. When you experience something in your life that is life-changing. You cannot help but invite others in, right? Anybody here like basketball? Yeah, see, it's not even, I'm not even gonna say that illustration thing. Nobody likes basketball. It's cool. When we read, you thought I was not gonna skip. I am, actually, I'm gonna skip it. We're just gonna keep going. Listen to this, though. Um, We can't be enticed by this, that it's for all people and we're supposed to bring it. We can't be enticed to miss the point of Jesus' teachings. This is not just a portrait for pastors to follow. I mean, I'm telling you, when we read these words over the next several weeks, you will be tempted, you may be tempted to think, that is a bar that is set so high, it is not for me, right? So the fact that the sermon is for all doesn't just mean that we should, we should come ourselves and bring others with us. It means we should pay very close attention to what it says, because it says in here, you wanna know one of the lines from the sermon? We're gonna to get to this. I'm gonna make uh, Pastor Danny preach this one. It says this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Who thinks that's for them today? Yep. I, I, I could hit that one, nail on the head. I'll be perfect, right? It seems like maybe this isn't for us. This is for people who have given their entire life to serve God. It's not for me. I am just a Christian, right? I have a, I have a day job and I have a family. Perfection is not on my radar, all right? Well, Come back when we preach that sermon and you'll hear how it can be and should be on your radar. But the point is, God is placing us before our true identity. And our response should be not to turn away from it saying, that portrait is not of me. Our response should be to turn and face it and say, God, how is this me? How could it be that this is me? Please, God. Make this happen in my life. That is our response, okay? The sermon is for all. Um, and, and one final thing uh, before we move on. If you and I, this is the caution. If you and I try to live a supernatural life by natural power, okay, the Sermon on the Mount is describing something supernatural. You know that when you hear him say, be perfect, as my heavenly father is perfect in the natural we know we cannot attain that so if you try to live a supernatural life under natural power you know what you will become it's clear in scripture it's all over the new testament it's called a legalist you guys ever met a legalist i have a child who's a legalist they may or may not be in this room so i won't talk about them and i mean so in a jesting way right like oh that's not the rules you got to follow the rules that's who a legalist is you're playing a game and you're playing it your way, but they have their way. And that's the rules. You have to play it this way. And then they get out the, the, the instructions. You've been with a board game with someone like this. They pull out the instructions, Mark, a couple times. Yeah. Uh, and then they're right, right? I mean, so they were right. It's not like they're wrong, but they're a legalist. They're going to follow the rules. If you try to live a supernatural life under natural power, you will become a religious legalist. And those people had a name. John the Baptist, he's a, 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 a man who lived in Jesus' day used it, and then Jesus used it too. You know what the word is? A brood of vipers. Jesus, in the next words here, is going to say, blessed are his followers. To the legalists, he he said, you are a brood of vipers. When we try to live a supernatural life under natural power, we become legalists because the supernatural life must be lived under supernatural power. His name is the Holy Spirit. He is a comforter and a guide and a help to those of us who are in trouble and a peace to those of us who are a little too haughty, right? We get into our heads. uh, We get get too big of a head. We start thinking that that we kind of did this on our own. The Holy Spirit brings us back to reality. And then to those of us who are just used to kicking ourselves down on the ground, you get in front of that mirror. You never look in the mirror. You, You covered up your mirror because you can't stand anything about yourself. The Holy Spirit lifts your head. The Holy Spirit is your guide. Live a supernatural life only under supernatural power. It's for all, Sermon on the Mount, but it's also, this is beautiful. It's complete. Now, I didn't do this because it's kind of gross, but if I just had a picture come up, just picture a picture of my nose, zoomed way in, right there on the screen. If I told you... This is a portrait of Larry Mayberry. You would say back to me, what? Nose. No. That's, my, that's, that's your nose. That's not a portrait. Why not? Well, because we have a predetermined set of ideas of what a portrait is, right? A portrait is someone's face. It's the complete thing. That's a part of my portrait, but it is not my portrait as a whole. It's my nose. Oftentimes, we the church, over the course of history, and you and I over the next few weeks may be tempted to take some of these teachings out of the Sermon on the Mount, like I would take my nose and just put it out there as a picture and say, you know what, because of this one, I can or cannot be a believer in this. And that is not the way that we handle Scripture because Scripture is a complete thing. Just like you wouldn't call my nose a portrait, you wouldn't call one line out of the Sermon on the Mount, either in line or out of line, without taking into consideration the entire thing. What Jesus was doing here is he is painting a portrait, and he's doing it in such a way as to expose the heart or the spirit behind the law that God had previously given. You see, God gave laws. He gave us the Ten Commandments. Let's name them. Ready? Go. Well, you guys actually want to do it. Thou shalt not steal. That's the Ten Commandment, right? Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's things. That one's easy for me. I never want anything anyone else has. You guys, it's good for you too? No. Thou shalt not murder, right? Shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He gave the law. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying the law was just a shadow. This is why it says at the end, um, what we read that, Jesus did things differently. He spoke with authority over these things. Here's why. Would any of you be so bold as to look down? These lights are kind of casting a shadow of, on the carpet of me. Would any of you say that this shadow is me? No, right? The shadow is just a portrayal of me that's coming, the, the light is bouncing off in science, and then there's a shadow on the ground. What Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he was saying to his followers and to the crowds, the law, the old covenant, you guys thought that was it. No, the law was a shadow. Now, turn up. Not like that. It's Sunday. Turn your face up and look at me. I was the one casting the shadow the whole time. Let me explain to you the things of God. This is what I meant. He's going to say this in in the sermon. This is what I meant. Uh, This is what God means when he says, do not murder. He means if you look at another person, and have hatred in your heart for them, you have already murdered them. Wait, what? I'm not going to jail for that though. He says, that's not the point. The point is, you've missed the forest for the trees. You've been looking at the shadow so long, you started to think it was the real thing and then you started making all your rules about the shadow. And here I am coming and I'm shaking things up and I'm showing you the truth. And the truth is, I am not as concerned with your physical body and your physical word and your physical world as you think I am. I am concerned with your heart. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, there is this thread about a God who looks beyond man's outward appearance and looks to the heart, and he can pick people out of a crowd you never thought could be used for something good. He would pick out a prostitute and use her to lead his people into freedom. He would pick out, pick, out, pick out a stuttering man to be the voice that leads people out of the wilderness. You see, God looks past what you and I see. That person in the mirror you're uneasy about, he's not even seeing that person. He's looking into your heart. And that's what he's teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a complete teaching. He is showing us that he is the living, breathing word of God. He is the living, breathing word of God. God is concerned with your heart. He is concerned with your true identity and with my true identity. The last thought before we talk about some next steps in a few minutes is this the sermon on the mount yeah it's for all okay it's it's a complete teaching we shouldn't pick and choose but this part is the most beautiful part about it in my opinion the sermon on the mount is a teaching with authority isn't it great when you have an idea of the way something should be and then you also have the authority to make it happen Parents, you understand this. Once a year or two times a year, your children let you have the, think you have the authority to do something, right? And it feels good. No, you have the authority. You see, when Jesus taught the people around him, known as the crowds, they noticed that something was different. There were teachers that came and taught to them in the past. But Jesus did it differently. He did it with authority. He taught them saying this is not my opinion on the way things should be this is how things are let me show you who you can be this portrait is a beautiful description of your true identity when you are found in Christ. The, the world says that you and I, in order to find ourselves, need to go and, and go on a search, right? You want to know your true identity? Go find yourself. You can find it in many things. It'll tell you, you know, find your best life now in this new book. It'll say, find your best life in this new diet. You're, you're overweight. You need to lose some weight. Find this in, um, in these horoscopes. Your your You're focusing on yourself too much. You need to look to the stars. They have a word of wisdom for you. The world will say, uh, you need to go discover your full potential, right? To open up, to, to bloom like a flower. And it's not that that concept of finding your true identity is wrong in and of itself. It's that the search that our world will lead you on to accomplish it, is flawed from the very outset. Listen, just like a counterfeit bill, when you go looking into these other mirrors, right? If you go looking, who am I? And the world says, this is who you should be. You ever notice that? You look into something that the world says, it never says this is who you are. It says this is who you should be. So just change a little bit right here. And then you go to this person. ever gone to a person for your identity i know all of us in this room uh, most of us in this room have done this you go to this person right and you may not say who am i but you're saying to them by your actions you know please tell me who i am and they say this is who i want you to be i want you to fulfill these things for me and some of you who have been burned in that you know that when you've done that before you fill out all their little check boxes and what happens at the end you're still not good enough for that person right? There's all these different meters. You go to money and you say, who should I, who, I, who should I be? And money says, you should be rich. You can go to drink and you should say, who should I be? Ah, you should come to me and just forget about all your cares, right? I'll take it all, I'll take it all away for you. You go to your job and say, who should I should be? Who should I be? A good employee. You should be devoted. You should be devoted to me above, above everything else, right? All of these things want to speak Into you. They want to tell you who you should be. But the problem is, none of them have the capacity or the authority to make you into that person they promise. They are like a counterfeit bill. Have you ever used a counterfeit bill? You don't have to raise your hand. On accident? On accident, right? What happens? You have what you think is a $10 bill or a hundred. You can probably get away with a ten. A hundred, nobody writes on a, with a marker on $10 bills. But you, you come to the cash register, and you are just paying for your things. But the person says to you, this isn't going to work. This happened to me in Peru one time. Counterfeits are more popular there. They told us that as soon as I landed. And they said, you got to check, make sure you check your bills, right? And I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. So they, they, they showed me. And we were um, in a village far down south near the Pacific Ocean. And I went up to the counter to just pay for some tea. And I was giving them a counterfeit bill, and I didn't know it. But they said, this is, this is not, this doesn't have any value here. So I had to, you know, dig in my pocket and find another one. But that bill was not going to cash the pay, I mean, cash out for me. It wasn't going to get me the tea. It was a counterfeit. Let me tell you this. Those mirrors that we go to that are not Jesus himself, they're counterfeits. You see, that job says, be devoted to me, and I will come through for you. It works. Until it doesn't work, and you fall flat on your face in a recession, and you get laid off. Or your boss changes its tune, and they decide, you know what, it's time for you to go. You go to that relationship, and you fill out all those check boxes, And you say, oh, I'm finally becoming the person, you know, this person. I like the idea of of who they are. I want to be who they want me to be. And then they decide, not only are you not good enough, but I found someone who's better. And they leave you and you fall flat on your face again. You see, they're like counterfeit bills. When, when things get difficult for you, and you need something from them, you think, because they told you who you were, they have the authority to give it to you. But it turns out, when you come to cash out, they were counterfeit the whole time. Now, it doesn't mean you have to look with animosity at all these things, right? We... Uh, We we can talk about this over the course of our church, but your job is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We just need to understand it's proper place. These other things are not the mirror into which you look to find your identity. That's it. These things don't tell you who, who you are. Only Jesus can do that. Counterfeits will always fail to pay the bill. And when you and I look at the reflections that are shown to us by anything but Jesus Christ, you will come up short. I will come up short. You want to know who you are? Look to Jesus. You want to know who you were meant to be? That's a good question. Who were you meant to be? There's nothing wrong with that question. You want to fulfill your destiny? That's a good thing. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to this earth with the destiny, a mission in front of him, and he fulfilled it? What if he had left it unfulfilled? He chose not to go to the cross. I'll just elevate myself up to heaven, and we'll see what happens. Aren't you glad he fulfilled it? It's good to want to fulfill your destiny, to become the person that you were meant to be. The only thing is, we've got to look to the only one who has authority to give it to us. And that, my friends, is Jesus Christ. One last verse of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 19. I mean, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. This, this is Jesus. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh when he died on the cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us then draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, say faithful, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Let us hold fast to this confession. For he who promised is faithful when you go to the mirror of Jesus Christ. And you look at it and say, who am I? Who should I be? Jesus will always be there with a portrait of his disciple. He will be telling you, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are chosen. You are mine. You are holy. You are loved. You see, when we are found in Christ Jesus, right, when we place our faith in him, and he is our Lord and Savior, we're confessing sin, we're repenting and turning from sin, and we're coming to this mirror, Jesus is the one looking back at us. Jesus is the right reflection when we want to know who we should be, who our true identity is. So tonight, sorry, this morning, used to preaching at night. That's going to have to change. You were were given a little card when you walked in and a pen, and I have some next steps If you didn't take any notes during the sermon, this is a great time to get that pen out and jot down what God is telling you right now. Because the Holy Spirit is calling some of you this morning to recognize that God has the authority over your identity. I mean, one of those examples that I gave, you said, that's me. That job thing or that relationship thing or that money thing or that drink thing or that food thing or whatever it is or something I didn't mention. That's where I'm going That's the only reason, that's the only way I feel like myself is when I'm there. That's a good way to know where you find your identity. That's the only time I feel like my true self. And the Holy Spirit wants you to recognize this morning that He has authority over your identity. That He is the only one who is not counterfeit. So the next step you need to make is by turning and facing Him. Turn your mind. And your heart toward Him and let Him speak life into you. You'll hear us say this phrase a lot. It's printed on the signs when you leave. When you guys turn that way or that way, you will see this phrase. This is what we want you to know when you see it. It says, God has big plans for you. God has big plans for you. This is right here in this sermon. You hear him say that a lot because it's true. He has designed you to glorify him. And that's a big plan. He wants to transform you into an heir with Jesus. He wants to give you all of the things that he has given to Jesus. That's what happens when you become a child of God, when you place your faith in him. And for some of you, your next step is today. God's big plans for you start right now. Some of you have decided, like, this is the time that I need to stop trying to make my own plans because they all tend to fall through like those counter bills. And I need to trust in God's plan for my life. I've been on an island alone all, long enough. I'm ready to step onto this local church and see what this community is all about. God is speaking right now. To come and pray with someone on our prayer team. standing up. At-